Hello. So today we're talking about startup investing FOMO, fear of missing out, in the context of two fintech companies, Free Trade and Goodfolio. So if you're anything like me, you will have at some point in your investing journey felt the same sort of FOMO that I felt recently. I saw that Free Trade was doing another raise on Crowdcube and got very excited, but then had to check myself because I could feel the nagging gnaw of FOMO pulling me in, by which I mean, was I just wanting to invest because I didn't want to miss out rather than investing for the right reasons? So Free Trade has been doing really well. Its revenue and user count are north of a million, and it's had a lot of successful raises over the last few years, having secured £50 million in their Series B last year. So investors keep coming back for more. But, and this won't surprise you if you listen to episode two, what gave me pause here is Free Trade's valuation at £650 million, which seems like a lot given that their revenue is only around a million. But it's always good to check these things, so I did a comparison with some other industry names slash competitors. So eToro is valued at about $10 billion with revenues of $650 million, which is a revenue to valuation multiplier of 16 and a half times, plus 500 is valued at 1.7 billion with a revenue of 850 million, which is about a two times multiplier. And free trades multiplier is 650 times. So, I mean, it seems like free trade is way, way off there. And yes, revenue to valuation is just one crude metric and it's not quite fair to compare free trade with established industry players, but all the same, it made me pause and ultimately not invest especially since we're here to jump in on a unicorn before it becomes a unicorn or half unicorn. Side note though, if you haven't already, listen to episode two on searching for unicorns because free trade may well become one and they did a raise on Crowdcube in 2016 at a valuation of just under two million pounds. Now that is FOMO. So how should you approach this FOMO feeling? Well, all traditional investing advice is to try to not be beholden to your emotions, to act rationally, don't dive in because of FOMO, but instead appraise things dispassionately. And this is all good advice, but remember, we're investing in startups here, so there's a degree to which we need to think a bit differently. That doesn't necessarily mean emotionally, but I think we can afford to be passionate to listen to our guts, perhaps just a tiny bit more than when we approach traditional investment. Remember from episode one, I talked about the idea that you're investing in the future as you'd like to see it. Well, because of that, we will inevitably treat our investments in startups a little differently. We know they are risky. We know they are a bit speculative. And yes, we should always do our homework, but this is also supposed to be fun and exciting. So I think what I'm saying is, if you see a startup and it hits your gut, listen to that. And that is part of the reason why I'm building Start to Invest, so that you can see good analysis on startup investment opportunities quickly and succinctly. So you don't feel the FOMO, or at least you'll know a bit better whether that FOMO is justified. Head over to starttoinvest.co.uk and sign up for our newsletter to get startup investing tips. There is another element which touches on the second company I'm looking at today, and that's to do with exactly what you're investing in. So yes, you're looking at an idea, but maybe you also like the look of the team or the entrepreneur. Your investment is going towards them, not just 
pursuing this idea, but also honing their entrepreneurial skills. Now, I'm not saying you should just see yourself as some sort of patron to budding entrepreneurs who can spunk your cash paying themselves, but there is something to be said about investing in people, not just ideas. So maybe you spot a great entrepreneur and that's why you want to invest, almost in the knowledge that this idea might not be their big hitter, but maybe down the line you'll have followed them on their unicorn journey. Like discovering a band before they hit it big. Again, we are in a slightly more emotional area of investing. No one cares if you've invested in Coca-Cola and their stock goes up by 20% this year. But if you've spotted a great startup or entrepreneur and they go up by 20% this year, I bet you'll feel great. So that leads me on to another company that I've been looking at recently, which is called Goodfolio. And luckily their campaign is still open, so I haven't missed a chance to invest. Goodfolio is a fintech company currently raising on Cedars, which aims to help you invest in companies that share your ethical values. I was lucky enough to have a chat with Omid, who is the CEO and the founder of Goodfolio. And I'm really grateful to him for giving me the opportunity to dig into the detail of Goodfolio, what it's hoping to achieve and how it aims to get there. I really like the idea. I think it's inevitable that people will want easier ways to invest in companies that reflect their ethical values, it's already a significant market that's bound to grow, so if Goodfolio can carve out a space in that market, they'll do well. But what I like almost more than the idea is their approach. As you'll hear in our discussion, Omid has a really agile approach to his company, which essentially means they're clear on their vision, but adaptable on their method, on how they get there. So you'll hear him talk about how important it is to get their first 1,000 customers and to listen really closely to what those customers want. If you're interested in investing in Goodfolio, then keep listening, and I encourage you to check out their pitch on Cedars. I'll put a link in the description. But even if not, I think there are some great entrepreneurial lessons in the way Omid and the team are approaching their next few months. So that's enough ramble from me. Here's Omid from Goodfolio. Thanks so much for talking to me, Omid. Can you just give me uh, a sort of headline two minute kind of chat of who you are what your company is and what it does um yeah of course um glad to be here uh name is omid uh, founder ceo of goodfolio and we're building an investment platform for everyday investors to deploy their capital um starting with ices and pensions and then pensions um into companies and industries that share their values and we think by making ethical investing effortless and personalized we can increase the flow of capital into sustainable industries and responsible companies so that's the mission it's early days we started early this year and um, very much um, on our way to launch it's a very exciting stage to be at yeah, it is exciting. I mean, I really like the idea. It feels very prescient. It feels like something that a lot of people, a lot of investors would be interested in and are kind of talking about at the moment. I have lots of friends who have never invested before who think that it's just about investing in sort of big oil companies and things like that, and they don't want to do it. So it feels like this is giving a, a an avenue to those sorts of investors um, who are maybe slightly more um, conscious of their like environmental impact and things like that. Um, so what what does a typical like user journey look like? So 
what's the hope for if I go onto the app or onto the platform, what, what would my sort of journey be? Um, great question, actually. Um, straight into the to the thick of the details of the product. <laughs> I like it. Um, it's it's really a two two stage roadmap for us. Um, first instance, and this is a bit, bit of a sort of working with the regulation as well as the technology and the curation that's required to be able to do this. Um, uh, so first stage, uh, everything we do is really centered around giving control to, to the user. Um, so being able to put things in front of you in a way that you make the decision rather than we make the decision for you. Um, and a typical user journey can be that you can start, um, we're starting with, with ETFs, you can start by building up your own sort of portfolio of funds um, with, uh, and, you know, with, with the sort of the, the, the curated list of themes and, uh, um, and perhaps the less, let's say, less, less harmful global equity ETFs or the more actively good, um, actively good ETFs that are coming out at the moment, which are very exciting. Um, so that's one way to enter the journey. Another way is to um, pick one of the sort of the model portfolios, we call them, um, which which we'd like to think they're quite balanced um, still, and they they have sort of a specific themes and assumptions of 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 of, of your values kind of built into them, built into them a little bit. So whether that's aimed at um, reducing uh, your carbon footprint or having a little, little bit more exposure to um, water or what, whatever the theme may be, um, that's, that's really the sort of the two overarching <laughs> uh, ways you can start um, using the product. Um, okay. Yeah. And so the longer term vision is to be able to really, I think one day it should be, it should be possible to do what, um, you know, what the robo advisor word actually kind of implies, which is actually, you know, <laughs> a robot that gives you a little bit of advice, um, rather than what the sort of the state of robo advisor market is at the moment, which is just managing your money, money for you. Um, so eventually, you know, the vision is, perhaps you can give us an idea of your preferences, an idea of what your values are, and we construct as a starting point for you, a balanced portfolio. Um, but you can still control and adjust um, that kind of reflect those values as well as your financial goals. Um, but yeah, two-step journey uh, for, for multiple reasons. Okay, yeah, so I like, so at the moment, the way it would work is I would go onto the platform and look through a curated list of funds based on, so if I had a theme that was, you know, uh, like CO2 reduction or, or that kind of thing, um, mm. I would see a curated list of funds that I can select from, but then the hope is that in the future, I just sort of take a, like a quiz or something, you know, say, I'm really conscious about this thing, about reducing CO2, about rainforest conservation, that kind of thing. And then you mm. might say the robo advisor says, okay, well, this is the fund we think for you. And this is, you know, what it looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I think it's, 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 it's fair to say it will always be a collection of funds rather mm. than just, just one. Um, and uh, eventually we'll, we hope to be able to have sort of direct um, equities trading in there as well, um, in yeah. case you have specific companies that you want exposure to. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the idea, sort of going from, 
you can start your own portfolios or start from, like I said, like a model portfolio that you're like, okay, this is kind of roughly describes what I'm after at the moment and I just want to get going. Um, and that's, um, that's the sort of the initial stage and then gradually moving towards being able to actually, um, yeah, let's say, uh, semi-automate that to some degree yeah okay and so how how does that the sort of back-end process work in terms of so if you're showing people a list of let's say etfs that they can pick from uh, are you guys deciding that or are you getting that data from somewhere else or how, how are you deciding what that list looks like well i think that's a that's a super relevant question um and i think that's uh, somewhere that we think we kind of um, is is really the core of our focus and how we want to stand stand apart from others. Um, I think just to start with like a sort of a high level comment, I think the um, the idea of sort of like curating investment options or being able to offer analytics around them um, in, in in terms of in terms of their impact or in terms of their footprint. Um, mm what you typically see is um is either sort of a a manual process of someone you know saying this is this is good or this is bad or you see a very sort of a auto automatic um sort of score uh, sort of technically generated one that's not necessarily very uh, very thorough um and in both those cases, you also seem to lose or not really give give a huge amount of um, attention to what people generally care about. Um, so I think at the intersection of those three, so being able to sort of use technology to filter through different metrics and different data sources and sort of aggregate that, map that, and be able to consume that, have the sort of the experts in-house and in the network that they can sort of analyze that and then have a sort of a constant collaboration with the community of users and the investors on the platform to be able to say, yes, this is these are the metrics that I did actually want to care about, or this is this is a methodology that I'm happy with. Um, and having that in place and that the intersection of those three is is really where we think um, uh, we need to be to be able to offer something of of value to the users. Um, and yeah, so everything we do is is effectively follows that process. You know, starts with, all right. So how do people look at this? Um, who are who are the good data sources or the um, and people at the forefront of creating um, the high quality um, and sort of high impact data? Um, and actually, do we how do we do our homework of understanding what this data means and sort of let's say um, summarize and abstract that knowledge in a, in a way that's consumable and then sort of go through the same loop of should put that in front of users and get their approval and um, see if that is actually what they care about um, take the feedback into consideration um, and hopefully you know um, gradually you will see more of more and more of that sort of interaction with the community building being built in the platform as well Okay, I really like that. So it's an iterative approach to figuring out exactly what users want. So because they might be, they might want a big CO2 metric on every, you know, ETF, mm -hmm. or they might be looking at other variables. 
but ultimately you won't know until you get users on the platform you know properly engaging and feeding back yeah yeah i mean i think that's that that's what's on i think they're being able to stay sort of open to where the markets and where people are going at the moment i mean i think there's where we are and uh and in this space at the moment is very much in flux and i think we are humble enough to realize that Mm. the best you can do is to learn as quickly as possible because a lot is happening um and i think a lot of that learning is um it comes from actually users and what they care about and that's the kind of the vision and the mission behind the company of sort of empowering to be able to make those decisions um so yeah i mean i think you know if you just take a really concrete example if you have like an etf list or a model portfolio based on a theme that we're looking at um that will probably I mean, we have a starting point now because we've done a load of surveys and interviews and we know sort of like what the starting ones are going to be or likely to be at least. Um, but that will have probably come from community saying, hey, I want something that's to do with biodiversity. And I mm. know that there are a few sort of ETFs available. How do I actually assess what's better and which ones can I trade on the platform and invest in, etc. Um, so the, the idea will come from what their priority is. Then we'll kind of start looking at okay to what extent is it possible to actually uh, compare that to what extent is possible to actually get access to to investing in that in that fund and in the uk at the moment um and then going back with with the methodology of okay so this is how you could look at it um what do you think and sort of building up from there with yeah with a um let's say customer governance structure around it okay so who do you think is your like typical user or typical customer is it uh, a sort of existing investors who are becoming a bit more socially conscious or is it you know i'm thinking of the, like, the new generation are you hoping to grab kind of first time younger investors as well who this is the way that they think investing should be they're not used to investing in uh things like big oil and uh, and the things that that we we older generation have uh, been putting our money in um yeah yeah um it's a it's a it's a good question i think you've kind of half answered this for me um there is in the first instance um it will be for second time investors is how i would describe them mm-hmm. so it is people that would you know that would want to invest in a sustainable way or a more ethical way um but they don't necessarily have the tools to do that at the moment it's too hard they don't have the options available um they're concerned about the sacrifices they'll be making um they need they need confidence in doing so um they have some knowledge of financial markets already they've they've uh, they've you know they've picked their own etfs to invest in before um yep socially conscious environmentally aware um sort of the um most likely i think average age on our waiting list is at the moment is 36 um it's it's definitely um and i think i will uh yeah, I think it's fair to say in the first instance, it's not whilst we want to empower people to be able to invest as easily as possible. Um, you you probably have better choices if it's if it's your sort of first time investing and you want just to put a uh, hundred quid in an account and everything's done for you. 
Um, so yeah, a lot of people that want that are either already um, investing and trying to do that ethically and want to do that, want a little bit more control over it, um, or people who already have a little bit of control over their investments, but they want to sort of tilt it to a more sustainable and ethical portfolio. Okay, okay. And so you're currently raising uh, money on CEDARS. The last time I checked, you have already gone past your target by quite a distance, which is really good. Congratulations. And we're still with uh, plenty of time to go. So people can uh, still go onto the site and check out the pitch and everything. So um, that's very exciting. I, I'm, I'm interested in what's the what happens next. So once the CEDARS campaign gets sort of all wrapped up and finished, what's the next sort of year look like in terms of product development and you know the team and that kind of thing? Yeah, um, really good question. I think everything we've been sort of building up to this year has been with the aim of um, trying to get as much validation as possible um, and refine the proposition um, before launching. Um, and then what the round is going to enable us to do is to actually launch the first version of the product. Um, and, you know, the first place to get to is to have a thousand happy customers. Uh, that would be very, very disappointed if you couldn't use the product anymore. Um, that's, that's really the sort of the, the main focus. Um, we have sort of a timeline of about three months after um after after closing up the round for launch um have a waiting list ready um got one large client who signed a letter of intent and is quite excited to get going and yeah <laughs> working with our regulatory partner already um hoping they'll be in place in time as well um the tech is being built and tested the team is 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 pretty um pretty ready to to take on the launch and that's really you know the sole sort of the, the the laser focus of the coming month is is getting the people onto the platform using it and 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 really learning from what they what they expect of us and and be able to be able to add to that based on their feedback okay so so quite quickly you're hoping that you will have a usable product that people can go on and start putting money into and and picking yeah. their ETFs. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this is a, I, I come from a product management background, so it's, it's always going to be slightly uncomfortable with, you know, this is, this does not have all the features that I wanted to, <laughs> or this is definitely not going to make everyone happy. Um, yeah. But there is a, you know, there's a commitment, there's a commitment to launching. Um, okay. That's, that's what we want to stick to. Yeah, and it sounds like you've got quite a, like an agile approach anyway to iterate to get feedback. So you, you don't, you know, you're getting the MVP right, the minimal viable product out there. Get those first thousand customers, listen to the feedback, and then change, adapt, grow, and and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Stick to you know, have a clear plan of the next you know six to twelve months. Have a clear vision of where you want to go in five years, and everything in the middle is you're gonna have to learn and adapt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so thinking about that, in a year's time, what would make you super, super happy? What What's the sort of like stretch target? What's the you know literally this time next year? What's making you think? We've we've nailed this. The last year has been a, a really good success. Um, 
<laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that because I'm, I'm quite sort of, I get very laser focused on targets. <laughs> like yeah. this is what needs to happen next. And that's all I care about. Um, and yeah, I think 1000 happy customers. I think I want, I want people, um, I want, I want sort of true evidence of traction and validation. Um, mm. And it's a little bit hard in FinTech. It's like we're in a super sort of regulated space. So you can't, you can't just have a very, very minimum <laughs> lovable product out there. There needs to be like certain, certain requirements that are met. Um, but that's, that's, that's the sort of the key, key part of what we, what we need next is, is people that, I've used the product, they're happy with it, moving their portfolios there, and they, you know, they would they would recommend it to friends, um, friends and family. And if if we have that, then we will be will be ready to take the next stage, which is kind of scaling it beyond um, beyond the beyond the first thousand customers. Yeah, and the hope is to be able to do that as yeah and as quickly as possible <laughs> and hopefully by the end of the year we've done that and started scaling that as well okay and so and does that mean that will you be getting revenue in from the from that once you start getting those customers in because I, I presume it's how's the revenue work is it a fee structure is it what's the how's that yep, work yep, it's a fee structure um yeah <laughs> the, the fee structure is is flat and it's a, it's a percentage point um and yes, as soon as people start using it, there will be revenue generation as well. Um, so that's not the key focus. Uh, obviously, like how much revenue we generate on day one. Um, it's really making sure people are happy and want to use it and want to keep using it. Um, yeah. But yes, absolutely. Um, the There is a very simple and transparent pricing mechanism, which is kind of like all inclusive and you don't, don't have to pay by trade or, uh, you know, pay for it taking money out or putting money in etc it's just a percentage point yeah that's good it's interesting isn't it because i there i use obviously a number of different platforms for investing and the ones where you have to pay by trade feel so archaic there's some sort of psychological trick going on there isn't there where if it's like you know the no commission kind of model with just a flat fee structure then feels more more now i don't know I think, yeah, I think that's that's spot on, and particularly with the sort of with what's been going on in the US with the likes of Robinhood. I think the idea of commission free has become a little bit, you know, um, becoming more of an expectation. Yeah. Obviously, we're in a very very different market in the UK, so you know, Robinhood um, generates a lot of money from payment for flow, which you obviously can't and. <laughs> happy about that and you can't you can't do that in the uk because you know well that you always like promise it promising best execution and that's mm-hmm. that's that's really um that's really a good thing for customer uh consumer protection um but that does kind of you do end up on platforms and against speaking from personal experience that you end up paying unreasonable amounts just to sort of get into an investment and you're already kind of questioning whether it should have actually cost that much or not um mm. and really kind of i think if you're if you're running and managing a long-term portfolio uh, or an investment investment account um if you want to make changes to it you should be able to do that without without constantly feeling like 
you know, how much am I going to, how many trades do I need to do and how much am I going to pay to actually do that? Yeah, yeah. That shouldn't be a that shouldn't be a thing that the investor is thinking about. We should we should be able to incorporate that into our our costs. Yeah, and that's interesting that you said that uh, it's become an expectation because I suppose this market feels like it's moving quite quickly, and it does feel quite dynamic at the moment. And so customer expectations must be changing all the time. You know, it's one of those. Are you aware of that? That if a big platform introduces a new feature or, or a new sort of UI feature or something that the customers then everywhere want. You know, I'm thinking of how, you know, we, everyone has smartphones and then suddenly the touchscreen became ubiquitous mm. and suddenly everybody, ha- it had to be a touchscreen or you weren't a smartphone. Yeah, yeah. And there is a lot of that happening, particularly in, on the on the trading apps. Um, and, you know, they've they've got their space in the world and, 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 and obviously people want to use that, but that's become, you know, that's become a pretty competitive market. And I think we are, we're a little bit different in that we're not really looking at sort of day traders in any way or, mm. <laughs> or trying to get uh, help people in, in terms of getting access to short-term profit or anything like that. We're kind of it's very much as a sort of a long sustainable uh, investment account that you would use. Um, okay. Okay. So you're more like a, like a Hargreaves Landown, a, a Vanguard than you are an eToro or a free trade. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more, more of that competitiveness on features happening with a uh, Toro free trade at the moment, from my understanding, than than yeah. there is. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so thinking uh, much more sort of long term, but I suppose this is for, from like an investment perspective. What's your uh, exit strategy? What are you What are you hoping for on that regard? Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's a good one. I think <laughs> there is. There's some exits that have already started happening in sort of similar verticals. Um, and obviously, you know, this has been happening for decades, but there's a sort of a, a couple of exits happened recently. JP Morgan uh, bought a company called Open Invest uh, in the US, um, which is both B2B and B2C for values based portfolio construction. Um, and they kind of, I wanted to say simultaneously, but obviously it didn't happen on the same day. They also bought NAMIC. Um, so that's a kind of a, a, that's a nice, nice sort of indication of activity in the, in the space for us. Um, we think there is a, um, there's a sort of a fundamental gap in, in the sort of the, the, the way um, that let's say an old, um, wealth manager, wealth management firm would understand their clients. And that is sort of, there's a, there's a group that they just don't really know much about. Um, they don't really know what experience they'd expect from them. They don't really know what values they expect from them. And that's really kind of, that's exactly where we're sitting at the moment, because that's a very sort of valuable group of users. And I think that's, that gives us the, the advantage in sort of like five to five to seven years to be able to have a very sort of a defensible asset and something that we can a customer base that we can be um yeah that we can we can use to <laughs> to get that get that exit and whether that's through uh, through a sale 
to a large organization who are in line with us in values um, or, um, God forbid, an IPO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, that's good to hear because I think it's always, from an investment perspective, it's always interesting to hear when people have an exit strategy. It's always reassuring to see, mm. you know, uh, comparable deals bit being done and yeah i suppose from a let's say like a large financial institution's perspective you will have been doing all that user research iterating you know gathering those insights for them over the next sort of five seven years or so so it's it's a there's value in there anyway finding that sort of segment of the market and that absolutely goes hand in hand with the sort of the curation and uh, the work we need to do on the impact side, which is the sort of the core core capability that we, we're building uh, in the team um, to be able to sort of analyze in a way that actually makes sense to that user group and they care about and they kind of respond to. And yeah, um, that, that sort of that matching quote unquote is, is, is the kind of the, the core core of what we do, I think. Okay, cool. And what and what what do you think would be your biggest barrier? What's the biggest potential hurdle that would get in the way between you and success? Mm, very interesting. Um so I I've actually I've 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 worked at a couple of startups. Um and various things happen um and i think for us um it's really a question of being able to build trust and collaboration with the community in a way that's sustainable and scalable if we can do that um then you know most of the other challenges become relatively straightforward um and you know that that goes like that obviously goes hand in hand with things like you have to have a good team that's the mm. starting point for being able to build a business um but we're very excited about the team that we have and you have to be in the right market and you know it's, there were startups that were doing great things that got hit by like a three-month vc funding gap during covid mm. and they disappeared so that's kind of you know, there is um, there is stuff you can control. <laughs> There's stuff you can focus on. There is stuff that you can't. Um, and I think, in terms of what we can control, um, is 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 really learning and working with the community as much as possible, and making sure we stay sort of humble and curious and um, and on the yeah on the point with. With the with the sort of the developments in the space yeah i really like that connection that you're aiming for between the community and you and the and the product because that's what i hear about a lot doing these sorts of interviews is that if you can get that sort of communication you know networks between you and the customer as fluid and as transparent as possible and also remain responsive and agile to what they're telling you then all you're doing is is just continually finding product market fit, right? Because you've got, you're getting the communication from the market, you're able to tweak the product, and then eventually you're just getting closer and closer to that like perfect, uh, I don't know what it is, perfect 
symbiotic relationship <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah i mean that's that's what time is a great way to frame it as well um that's what we're aiming for and i think um we've kind of yeah we're excited about the space that we're in we're excited about the team um it's we're excited about sort of every single conversation that we've had with uh, with the people that are on the waiting list um or now investors through through cedars so it's mm. it's about being able to kind of capitalize on those relationships there they're kind of our biggest biggest advocates that's that's kind of what um what makes or breaks a business so yeah Okay, well, I think that sounds like a great uh, a great note to end on. But just before we go, where can people find more information? Join the waiting list. Uh, you know, find the procedures campaign, that kind of thing. Yeah, so goodfolio.com um, is is where you can join uh, the waiting list and hear more about the proposition. And if you join, you'll hear more about sort of the upcoming uh, product developments and the timelines. Um, and cedars.com/goodfolio is where you will still be able to find the crowdfunding campaign amazing well omid it's been great to chat thanks so much for uh for putting up with all my questions and i look forward to seeing goodfolio's future awesome thanks so much um yeah it was pleasure pleasure speaking to you as well thanks for listening and as ever i'd love to know what you think uh find me on twitter at alex biggins or email start to invest uk at gmail.com And do check out the Goodfolio Cedars campaign, link in the description. See you next time.